I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're going to be looking through the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. And so I hope that you'll just um, stay with us and use your Bible today. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And verse number 1, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knitted with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, and it came to pass as they came, uh, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets and with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Father, please open our hearts and thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, for our veterans, and I pray you would bless them. I pray that they would somehow grasp the depth of gratitude that we have for their service and how thankful we are for them, and especially that they're here with us today. I pray now in this message that you would do what only you can do, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing the series of what to do when, and so we talked about what to do when God is silent two weeks ago, and, and uh, then what to do when a storm sets in. And I'm going to cover some territory today that I'm aware of is some territory that we've covered in the past, but I I know exactly what God wants us to focus on today. And so I'm going to speak to you on this subject, what to do when it's over. What, What do we do? What do we do when it's over? There's no way possible to be involved in a ministry as long as I have without being a part of some very tragic situations in people's lives. The frustrating thing to me as a pastor is to see the answers clearly and yet unable to convince those involved that there are answers to be seen. And it's always an excuse that's given that it's somebody else's fault and because of that I not able to believe that there's some way out of this. I feel sometimes, or have felt sometimes, 
almost like a spectator that has a front row seat to a tragic play. I know full well the approach of sadness and yet powerless to keep it from arriving. And I've witnessed my share of heartbreak in the lives of people that I love and have truly desired, truly honestly desired to be a help. I want to say this to you. I want you to listen to me carefully. I do not have all the answers. And if you think that somehow, because I, I bear the title of pastor before my name, that I am the fount of all wisdom, and that I can somehow help you through situations that you won't help yourself through, I just, I, I'm, I'm not superhuman. I do not have superpowers. I have a book that has answers. And to the best of my ability, I can, I can try to guide you through the book. And I face certain things in my life and in the life of other people that give me a, 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 an advantage of experience where I can perhaps minister the Word to you but, but I, you, can't, you won't come sit with me and walk away and say, dude, he's amazing. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because only Jesus can bring that type of healing to the lives and relationships of people if they truly themselves want that, then they can have that. Now the problem is, is that heartbreak rarely rides solo. It almost always involves at least two people, and oftentimes many, many more are, are touched by its pain. And there are times when, in, in spite of one person's desire to make a relationship work, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. Somebody wants it to work, but oftentimes it doesn't. Maybe it's because the other person refuses to allow it a chance to survive. They kill it with indifference. Or perhaps it is that the, that, the, that, that the offense is so grievous that it strangles all hope. And I, I, I want to I speak this truth to you. You, you. you may be sitting here today thinking that you've got a perfect marriage and that you have perfect children that serve the Lord and they're all in church and, and you're living happily ever after. And you're viewing life from a, a very sterile perspective. But can I, can I tell you this, that outside of your bubble, life isn't so sterile. It's just not, it's not so sterile. And sometimes things don't turn out the way we want them to. And sometimes, against our best efforts, we do not live happily ever after. It just doesn't turn out that way always. 3 a.m. one morning many years ago, someone who is more like a brother to me than I can express called me. He was at his parents' house, and there was deep sobbing going on on the phone. When I answered the phone, I, I couldn't hear anything but a low sob. And I, I began to ask what was wrong, what was going on, and I sat in quietness for just a moment. He had married a girl 
that he thought was his happily ever after, and they built a house and was blessed with a baby girl. But one day he came home from work, and his young bride told him that she did not love him anymore and wanted a divorce. I will never forget the sobs that night as he lay on the floor in his parents' house with his world collapsing in on top of him. It's not what he wanted. It's not life as he ever thought it would be. It was not his choice, and yet now he had to live with it anyway. And sometimes it's other people's decisions that affect the quality of our life and take us down a path and down a road that we never saw coming. And all of a sudden, you're staring at a reality that seems so very unreal to you because it's not the way that your life was planned. I think sometimes we need to remember that the decisions that we make don't just affect us, they, they affect us, and sometimes it affects other people more even than it does others. Sometimes relationships end. You know that parents disown children? I remember a young man that came to Bible college. I'll never forget. He was there, and, and during holidays, he had to stay unless some of us brought him home with us because of the fact that his parents, once he accepted Christ, put him out of the house, and he could not ever come back. I remember thinking of my parents and how much they loved me and wondering how a parent could actually disown a child. Children disown parents. They want nothing more to do with the people that brought them into this world. Husbands abandon their wives and wives abandon their husbands. And sometimes friends of a lifetime walk out uh, of our lives never to be heard from again. People, people that were closer than, than, than blood relationships. People that have been through tragedies and, and difficulties together. People that you would think are forever my friend and suddenly something happens and they're gone. We do everything we can sometimes to save the relationship, but we can't. It dies. And nothing that we try to do or nothing that we can do resuscitates it. It's, it's over. It's gone. Romans chapter number 12 and verse 18, Paul wrote, and he said, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That means to the very best of our ability, we give it the best shot to make things peaceable. And yet, when he says, if, if, not when, but if it be possible, he's telling us that there are times when it's not sometimes. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes it's not possible. Now, let me say this before I get into the meat of what I want to say. Guilt over a failed relationship can destroy you. And if it doesn't destroy you, then probably the, 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 the treatment you'll receive from other sanctimonious brothers and sisters in Christ will really make you feel bad. Okay. You, you have leprosy of somehow because a relationship failed. And so, so you, you can get sanctimonious to where... To where um, you suddenly show up and the welcome mat's not out. Now, I want to just say this. That's not who we are. It's not who any of us should be. And that's certainly not the mentality 
that we want as a New Testament church. Okay. There's some places that if you go through broken relationships in your life, you're no longer welcome. Well, if we would all be honest, that would mean probably at some point none of us were welcome. Because we're all sinners, we've all failed, and, and we all need God's mercy uh, in our life. And so here's Paul and Barnabas, and, and, and I'm not going to go through what I went through Wednesday night as we, as we studied there with John Mark and, and all the, the ramifications that fell out there. But here's two great men who parted ways because the contention was so sharp between them. They couldn't come to an agreement. And so Paul and Barnabas said, you know, I think it's better that we just go our separate ways. And so the first missionary team, the iconic missionary team of, of Paul and Barnabas split because they could not live peaceably with each other. So my question today is how should we then respond when a relationship ends? Now this is an unusual message, and, 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 I, and I'm aware of that. And I want you to know this. Please, please hear this before you get on Facebook and post this, okay? Please hear this. I am not condoning by any shape or form, I'm not condoning that you give up on a problematic relationship. I'm condoning that you give God an opportunity to do what only God can do. I am at the same time recognizing the fact that we need to take an honest look at how we respond when one does fail. Because unless you're extraordinarily preoccupied, okay, with college football, about them dogs. Anyhow, I mean, unless you're, you're, you're preoccupied, extremely blinded, and not aware of life as it's happening, boy, You've got to realize that in a world of sinful people, relationships don't always survive, and it's sad. And it would be great if they all did. By the way, since we're Christians, don't you think every relationship should work out? Yeah. But does it? No. Even as Christian people, we have struggles with our children, struggles in our relationship. Okay? <laughs> okay, you're not laughing, so we'll move on. No, pastor, you've got a perfect relationship, don't you? i got a perfect wife, but she's married to a sinner. And so, you know what? 48 years, do you realize we've had to work our way through some struggles and disagreements and things we didn't work? I remember the, the story of the old guy sitting on the front porch, and he said, I, my wife and I have never had an argument. And the guy said, get out of here. You've never had an argument? He said, never once. Not once. We've never argued once. By the way, if that's your testimony, please don't share it because I don't believe it. But anyhow, uh, no. And so he said, well, how, how do you do that? He said, I sit on the front porch. He said, when I come home from work, I throw my hat in. If the hat stays inside, I follow it. If she throws the hat outside, I don't go in. I sit on the front porch until she invites me in. Well, that's, you may have your plan like that that keeps you from arguing, but the reality of the matter is, uh, we're sinners and we oftentimes struggle. So there are lessons that we can learn from David's relationship with Saul. Remember this about David and Saul. Saul was his king, Saul was his commander, and Saul was his father-in-law. 
And so you've got a lot of different dynamics wrapped up in that relationship. So how do you, how do you handle it when it's over? First of all, let me say this, and I'm going to be quick with some of these points, so just stay with me. First of all, do not initiate the demise of the relationship. Do not, do not initiate the demise of the relationship. Well, then you say, well, preacher, who, who, who initiates it? Not you. If you've got two people that won't discuss divorce, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to divorce. But if you're willing to talk divorce, and if divorce comes a, becomes a threat, you've got trouble. And, and let me just say this to you. Listen carefully. If you've been divorced and it's a part of your life, it should be repugnant to you. It should not be leverage where you go into a new relationship and you've carried your excess baggage from one into the other. Don't threaten divorce. In a, listen, in a spirit-filled, Christ-honoring family, divorce is never mentioned. It's never mentioned. Why? Because God's greater than whatever it is that is dividing the two of you. So don't, don't initiate the demise. When you sense that the relationship is dying out, don't be the one that pulls the plug on it. Don't, don't do that. Saul, it, it was Saul's idea to end the relationship. What did it say there? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Saul was jealous. This wasn't David saying, well, I think things are going downhill here. I'm out of here. No, no, it was Saul's idea to end the relationship. Number two, go through the established process before you decide it's over. Go through the process. Well, what is the process? Well, it's giving God time to do what God can do. It's letting this thing work its way out. Stop with the knee-jerk reaction. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you don't like me, I'll just leave. Well, come on. Good night. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't pull the plug. Don't, don't, um, don't skip the process of trying to work this thing out. And just because a relationship has problems doesn't mean that it's hopeless. First of all, would you seek some help if it's possible? Realizing that whoever you seek help from can't do what you can do in your relationship. There's not a counselor in the world that can stand there and say, Oh, well, good night. You're missing glue. Here's, here's glue, Gorilla Glue. Take it home and you'll be fine. No, no, no counselor can do that. A counselor can help you and show you things that you're lacking and things that, 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 that need to be removed from your relationship, but in the long run, you've got to do it. You've got to do. You can't just come, and if you're looking for agreement, you're wasting your money. So seek some help if possible. Let the process work its way out. You know what David did? David clung to hope. Now we're looking at the Bible. That's where we're at right now. We're in the Bible. So David clung to hope and, and, and did not consider it beyond hope until Jonathan later had shot the arrows in the field and David ran out and met him and Jonathan said, it's over. Dad's going to kill you. David kept hoping. In fact, there were several times David got himself in a pretty difficult predicament because he wouldn't give up hope on the situation. Spears are being thrown at him. But David is still holding on to hope. You see. He did everything in his power to save the relationship. 
But Saul would have none of it. Saul, in fact, did everything in his power to end it. And by the way, look at me. One guy said, I'm going to end it. The other guy said, I'm going to save it. Guess who God blessed? God blessed the one that would not pull the plug. That's the one that God blessed. Number three, be careful from whom you take counsel during this time. If you've got problems in your life, you, you need to be careful. Now, it, it could be, this isn't just marital. Good night. You, you could have problems with your children going on. Or maybe a friend or what. Just be careful to whom you take counsel from. In, in chapter 24, you might just jump over to chapter 24. Would you do that? 1 Samuel chapter 24. David right now has got Saul where he wants him. Saul is asleep in a cave. David's become a fugitive. And so Saul, Saul comes into the very cave where David and his men are hiding in En Gedi. I've been there. And so there's Saul, vulnerable. All David's got to do is thrust him through with a sword. And the guy that has hounded and hunted David is no longer his nemesis. Chapter 24, verse 4 of 1 Samuel. And the men of David said unto him, watch this, Behold the day which the Lord hath said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thy hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good to me. Now wait just a minute. What chapter and verse did God say that in? Do you notice how spiritual they're sounding? David, beholdeth thou the day that God has delivered into thy handeth the man that offendeth thee. Okay, that... God never said that. They're sounding extraordinarily spiritual, but they're not. Watch this. And then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. They sounded spiritual, but their loyalty to David, led them to want vengeance for him. And so they encouraged him to do something that they did not realize would have ruined him. Had he killed Saul, David would have been ruined and the purpose that God had in his life would have been forfeited. Can I help you with this? Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Beware of people who advise you to get what you deserve rather than what pleases God. When they're always pushing you you, you, you deserve this. He had no right. They had no right. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But they're leading you to think more of yourself than they are of the Lord. Your focus in your time of trouble should be about God. And so be, be careful with that. And, 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 and allow things. Listen, just, just he, he's got him now. He's got him. Well, there's a process that has to work its way out. And it can get to a place to where it doesn't work. And if it doesn't, I want you to have the peace of knowing that, that you've done your best to, to save the relationship. Number four, let me say this, don't seek revenge. Don't seek revenge. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 12, the Lord's judge, David said uh, to, to Saul, he said, The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. 
Well, Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. No, but God does. God does. So God's able, God's able to handle it. God, God can take care. You know what David was? David was confident. He was confident that God would do a better job of handling the situation than he could. And so he trusted God to sort it out. Give God time to do that. God doesn't always work our way. 12, Romans 12, 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Well, they did me evil, so I'm going to give them evil back. No, the Bible says don't do that. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The question is simply this to me. Dean, can you trust God to handle the people and the situations that have wronged you? Sometimes my answer might not be the best. Sometimes I've tried to take it upon myself. To handle it. Well, why would I handle it? Because I don't trust God to handle it. And I feel like I've got to take vengeance from Him and deal with it myself. Number five, respect their position even when you cannot respect their person. Respect their position even when you cannot respect their person. Now, I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. You're there. And, and let's look in verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Find your way over there. And then let's look in verse number 6. So this is David. And, and, and listen to what David said. This is going to be amazing. The, verse number 6. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto who? My master. The Lord's anointed to stretch forth thy hand against him. Watch this. Seeing that he's the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. And David arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. When Saul turned uh, and looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said unto Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee into uh, this day into mine hand in the cave, and made me bade kill, and some bade me kill thee. But mine eye spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in that I cut off thy, the skirt of thy robe and kill thee not, know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. Boy, David had a great opportunity right now to get even. Somebody said, Preacher, I don't get mad, I get even. Okay? One good fist is worth a thousand words. That all sounds good, but it doesn't live good. And here's David with an opportunity to strike back, and he certainly could have justified. You know what the word, listen to me. He said, Lord, Master, Father, and the Lord's anointed. All of those refer to a position. David is saying this, you're hunting me and you want my life, but I have not lost my respect for your position. And so even when you can't respect their person, respect their position, he even bows to the king. 
Even though Saul had personally been despicable to him, David refused to disrespect who he was. David took the high road. Can I, can I help you with this? You don't help your children when you run down their mom and dad. You actually hurt the kids. Now, I come from a traditional family where my mom and dad were high school sweethearts. My dad was a football star, and my mom attended the school, and they dated, got married on Christmas Day, and they were a great love story. Not a perfect family, not a not perfect, but my dad loved Maggie, and she loved James. And never one time ever in my life did I ever pillow my head because my parents were threatening to leave each other, and never one time in my life did I ever pillow my head thinking that I may not have a family when I wake up the next morning. But my wife did. And she rode a bus to church. And she has educated me on the heart of a child who loves their mom and loves their dad and yet watches their home disintegrate. And you're here and there and here and there. And it's, it's not easy. Can I just say this to you? Somebody's got to be the adult. Somebody has to be the adult. And it's far better for your children that you work together if you can. Don't force your child to choose. They will resent you one day and probably wind up drifting from you. You have their ear now, but you will lose their ear. And the child that you think is your, your co-partner in your stress wasn't wired to counsel their parents. How unfair that you would drag a child into that. That child will turn on you one day. It just, it's just the nature of the beast. Maybe your dad forsook you when you were a kid. You know what he still is? He's your father. I used to go out to a children's home in southeast Georgia, and I remember dropping down on my knees, and this little redhead girl ran up, and she'd throw her arms around my neck, and, Brother Dean, Brother Dean, Brother Dean. I so loved that kid. I told my wife, I said, if I can take her home, I would. But you know what she said to me as I embraced her on that country road? She said, my daddy's coming to get me. My daddy's coming to get me tomorrow. And I asked the guy that ran... The camp, I said, Earl, is her father coming to get her? I'm so happy. And he said, Brother Dean, her dad's not coming to get her. But that's a hope they never lose. And I'm going to tell you, listen to me carefully. The, the reality of the matter is the position should always be respected. The bitterness will turn you sour your ex may have trashed you and took you to the cleaners, but she's still the mother of your children. He's still the father of your children. And that leads me to point number six. Keep in mind the good 
that came before it all went bad. Now I want to show you that in the Bible. Of course, we're in the Bible. I'm going to show you that. Look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Would you go there? 2 Samuel chapter number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1. David is remembering what it was like with Saul before it went bad. Watch this. And David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan. And said, wait a minute, stop. Hold it right now. Stop. Time out. He's doing what? He's lamenting? My soul. Look, no. Hey, meet me down at Chuck E. Cheese's, okay? Let's go have a party. Saul's dead, okay? Ding dong, the wicked king is dead. Let's sing it out as loud as we can. He's been hunting me. He's been hounding me. I'm glad to be rid of that guy. I'm sick of him. No, no. David lamented with his lamentation, with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Watch this. Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it's written in the book of Jasher. Why? Because it was under Saul that David learned how to shoot a bow. Watch this. The beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Both of those places are connected with the giant, Goliath. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain and from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thy high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war, the weapons of war perished. David is remembering the good times that he had and the blessings that that relationship brought to him. He learned how to use the bow. You know who gave him the opportunity to fight Goliath? The, the, the most notable victory in David's life, it was Saul. David became a national hero. David had a noteworthy military career. David met his best ever friend because of Saul. That was Jonathan. I want to say this, that Thinking about the good that preceded it doesn't erase the bad, but it can erase the bitterness. So don't spend your life dwelling on a past relationship that's over, that's embittering you. Just It's okay. God will help you. Just move on. The good that came out of marriage that went bad could be the children. The relationship didn't last, but you have children that love you and the children that you love maybe maybe on the job that that was so bad for you 
the job you lost, the job that, 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 that somehow got ripped from you, somehow that job developed you into a better and a more skilled worker. Maybe the jerk of a boss helped you more than you realize. Maybe your dad was critical of you when you were a child, but you know what he did do? He, he, he bought you clothes and he put food on your table. Maybe he wasn't the best dad, but don't bankrupt him. Don't act like that there was no good that came. I'll never forget reading a letter that was written by a soldier in Iraq, and it was sent to Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight just died. He was noted for temper. I would not have wanted my son to play basketball for him. He cursed and just literally would snap, throw chairs on the court. He was a man that did not have personal control. But a soldier in Iraq wrote him a letter and he said, Those were hard days and I hated it. And wished I'd never played for you. But in Iraq, I'm glad I did. Because you taught me disciplines and you sent me through times that could have broke me. But coach, I owe you now. I'm just simply saying, Try to find the good that came out of the relationship before it went bad. And then last of all, let me just say this to you. And I think this is so important. There is life after the relationship has died. David wrote Psalms after the relationship ended. David became king. David conquered nations all after the relationship had died off. He didn't lay down and give up his spirit. He, he did not allow these past problems to define him. He didn't allow past relationships to paralyze him. He moved on with his life. Don't, don't get stuck in the rut of feeling sorry for yourself. Don't spend your life in the imaginary land of what if. What if? Well, the what if will never happen don't let the past ruin today and rob you of tomorrow. You ever had a kid come up to you and they got an armload of everything and they want a cookie? And you get the cookie and you hold it out to them? Jackson. And they don't have anything to take it once you stick it in their mouth. No, you've got to put a toy down to get this. You know, you know what our problem is sometimes? We've got all these past relationships and we, our arms are loaded with them and God wants to bless your life and move you on, but you can't, you can't receive the blessing because you're too busy holding on to bitterness and complaining and griping. Can, listen to me. Listen to me. Your relationship is dead in the water if you won't set aside the past. My soul, you're still griping and complaining over stuff that happened last week, last year, last month, 10 years ago. You've always done, you've always been. You don't stand a chance. You don't stand a chance. Because you're too busy holding on to past offenses and past hurts and past pains. Sometimes I just want to say, could you... Tell me who your God is. 
because all these years your God hasn't healed you of past relationships? Let it go. I began today's message telling you the story of a guy that was closer to me than a brother. Still is. You know what's happened to him? He found his happily ever after. He's married to a girl that he loves. They have children of their own. From that early relationship, he's got a beautiful daughter. He owns his own business. And he taught me more than any Bible college class, more than any pastor, more than any mentor in my life, he taught me what to do when it's over. I've never forgot the lesson, and he still teaches me that even to this day. Let God move you from that. Don't live, don't live back there. Don't, don't live back there. Don't live back there. Leave it alone. Live in today and live with the victory God's given you. Let's bow our heads, could we? What do you do when it's over? What do you do when it's over? Christ can bring healing where no one else can do. Christ can bring healing. At some point, you've got to get beyond the betrayal. At some point, you've got to decide, I, I'm going to find something from this relationship that was good. They, they may be sitting beside you or they may be in your life. Maybe somebody that calls you mom or somebody that calls you daddy, somebody that calls you grandma or grandpa or Mimi or papa or whatever. Thank God for the good before the relationship went bad. And there is a relationship you need in your life, and that's one with Christ. He sticks closer than a brother, and he'll help you through the hardships. He doesn't prevent the hardships, but when they come, he helps you and walks with you, and he'll be that friend to you if you'll let him. And for those of you that I know have been in hard relationships and, and you've been brokenhearted and it's been difficult, thank you for being in church today. Sometimes I don't think people realize how they encourage their pastor by the fact you've been through a storm, you've been through a heartache, and yet you're here, and I'm grateful for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your blessings. I pray now that you would... Uh, just, Lord, take this and minister to each and every one of us. Help us, I pray, to take the relationships that we have and to be willing to sacrifice and work through them to the best of our ability. And for those that have had relationships end, I pray that you would give them the encouragement that they need now to move on with their life and to serve you to the best of their ability. And we'll thank you for what you do, Lord. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things.
Amen.